in our bank account, I still have an alert that if there's less than fifty thousand dollars in the in the account, to give an alert because that was like two months worth of payroll, and I needed to know that we get there. And I'm gonna keep that alert forever, you know, just like as a, as as a reminder too. But yeah, it's it's never a one time a one a one night you know uh, overnight success. It's never that's never the case. It's always like years of of hard work and, and just not giving up. So. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in-the-weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations, we handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge again. We've got another awesome episode talking to a founder, co-founder and CEO, Sagi Eliyahu of Tonkin. It's really good to have you here. So yeah, I'd love to get your background a little bit, introduce yourself. You know, in the company, you've been at it for a little while. I know you have some big news and things are changing. So I'd uh, love, to, love to be on the front of the line here. Yeah, thanks, Ledge. Thanks for having me. It's uh, a big fan and um, happy to, uh, to join the show. Uh, so yeah, so Sagi, I'm, like you said, co-founder and CEO of Tonkin. I'm a tech guy, you know, software by heart type of thing. Uh, I was writing code since I was 10 years old. Always, always into building software and, and building things. Uh, had the chance to be VP engineering in a public company for several years after an acquisition of a previous startup I was part of. And uh, after after doing that for a while and growing a team to over 200 people, uh, I realized there's some massive, massive gaps in how we use software in enterprises, which led me to start Tonkin. Funny enough, I like to say that, you know, we've been actually doing Tonkin for almost six years now, that I, you know, I've been singing the same song for six years now. And thankfully, the markets are in a better place right now, or I should say a more, a more fitted place to, you know, to our vision. So it's exciting time. Yeah, no, I totally get that. I have that conversation with like and people who have been doing process automation or, you know, any of the different words around this stuff, particularly at enterprise. And all of a sudden, everybody woke up to this, oh, no code and we can just drag and drop stuff. And this is great. And y'all are like, um, yeah, we've been doing this a long time. You know, that's it's it's almost like it's funny when the market finally the timing comes around and somebody else puts a name on a thing and you go, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. It's uh, it must be as a product guy in engineering, right? Like the must just, you know, sort of be like, yeah, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's true. It's like, you know, a lot of people think about the concept of, of being lucky or, you know, getting lucky or have luck. And I always say it's never about luck. It's about timing and opportunities. Uh, and so the timing, though, is, is, is a crucial part of it. And I think we've uh, we've definitely felt it firsthand of what it means to be early. Uh, but I think right now with all, you know, the, the transformation the cloud brought in and, you know, everything has APIs or most things has APIs and um, more and more, even in our personal life, where I sometimes even attribute, you know, success of iPhone and Android to 
to an extent to how people actually accepting uh, the concept of you know enterprise software and no code and so on. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Long story short, it's uh, you know it's been uh, it's been quite the ride. Yeah, man. I, I like so in that experience of being you know sort of public company enterprise, you know like. All, all that stuff. I mean, what did you really discover that, you know, what was the, the thing that you set out to do and solve? And is it the same thing six years later? Because we're talking about like the name appeared and, you know, it became popular. But I imagine in six years, there's quite a lot of product evolution. Oh, yeah, you know, as well. So, you know, sort of walk through that, like, what what was it, you know, it gave you the bug? And then is it the same bug now? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good point. Uh it is the same bug, actually. It's uh, it's the same exact core promise or gap, if you will. The implementation of it have had multiple phases. You know, we've sort of been ups and down and back and forth, learning and, and understanding kind of what's, you know, what is the fit. But the bug was actually the same. And so, you know, to kind of uh, go back in time, as I was growing in in my own role in my own experience. You know, in 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 the previous job, uh, I had to grow the operations with me, right? When you're growing from seven people to 150 people, and then 250 people, a lot of it is not just hiring more folks. It's you know, how do you how does how do you create processes that actually scale, especially when it's a global company? And we were an R&D site in Israel, which is where I'm originally from, and you know, as uh, was part of that bigger company. Uh, but had to sort of like align the culture as well and align, you know, the different departments. Uh, quite challenging still today, right? Still to this day. But I think what was interesting in my experience is, you know, being a software guy, software is always a solution for me. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, how, how how can I put some software here to kind of help me do it? And so I, you know, I hacked, you know, the, the, the Salesforce and the Jira's and, the, you know, all the different you know, common popular tools trying to make things work together. Uh, that didn't seem to solve my my process issues. I tried to uh, create new tools, internal tools. That didn't help. Change, you know, how people work. That never ha- works. You know, and so really it ended up being that the only way to stay in sync was having twice a week, you know, a, a sync meeting with the different um, departments and and, and uh, geographies. And that just like felt crazy to me. Like, how is that possible that we're in, was it was it 2016 back then? And we're still, you know, in a situation where it's all, you know, only people can, like we have to, as people have to communicate. And it doesn't matter if you have Slack or you don't have Slack and Slack was just coming up back then. It's just, this. it's a different way to communicate, but still the process itself is us talking. So that was the the biggest realization I had, which is business processes are not about data. They're about people. But 100% of our software in enterprise is about data. It's about moving data around. It's about analyzing data, showing data, capturing data. It's not. About, it's less about the, the how people work and what do they care about. And something I, I wrote about a lot of times too is, what are their personal ROIs? You know, we talk about ROI a lot of time, return over investment of the company that buy the software. But what's the individual ROI of the people that are involved in this? It's not aligned 90% of the time. And so that thought was 
felt big enough. I was like, okay, misusing software in the enterprise, well, that sounds like a big enough problem to try and solve, right? And that was the, the incarnation of, of the company. Uh, how we solve it, uh, immediately we felt we want to bring, uh, we want to create more customization, like having software be more perfect fit to your process would, would yield better ROI matching to the personal people. But how to do it, you know, we iterated along along the years. So now with all the jargon out there and the and the you know and the and the and the and the known keywords, you know, it's easy to say, oh, it's a you know, it's a no code, you know, enterprise software type of thing. But but in reality, it was all about enabling more people to create more customized solutions. That was from day one, um, and I'm happy that now both our product is mature enough, but also the market is receptive to that concept. Right, right. So, yeah, give me a, I don't know, you know, as a, as a business leader, a, a mid-level, you know, business leader in a company, you know, what problem am I solving there? I've got, I guess I've got a collection of tools that I need to be connected. None of them actually give me the complete amount of information that I need. There's no really way to visualize, you know, I, I have been in enough corporate environments that I can imagine, you know, what's that like? And so, in walks talking and then, you know, it's sort of, what do I do? You know, what's that, what's that like? Yeah. Yeah. So let's say you're, let's, let's even take a specific process that you have an issue with, uh, which is very common uh, around contracts. So, you know, salespeople need legal to review the contracts and maybe finance to approve some stuff. And so you have a bunch of different tools that, you know, are siloed to each of those departments because that's how we buy technology today. Very siloed. And if that doesn't work, which is kind of what you described in a situation where this doesn't work or maybe it's not fast enough, the two alternatives you have today is you either go and try to buy a replacement. So you start shopping around, okay, okay, maybe I need a better CRM, maybe I need a better CLM, like contract management system, or maybe I need a better finance thing, which that type of repo replace everyone that ever done it you know, knows that A, it takes a long time because especially if you're on a bigger type of companies because you need IT to approve it and security reviews and, and vendor assessment and all and all that fun stuff. But also it means that you now need to teach a, a group of people to use this new software and they might not even want to. They might not, don't even see the problem, right? What we call right. change management, right? And that's very mm-hmm. expensive too. Oh yeah, eighty percent of the cost of change is uh, people who don't want to do it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Options and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, and again, that goes back to that personal ROI, right? Because like, hey, why does what does the sales guy cares about the legal portal? They don't. The only p- people that care about the legal portal are legal, and now uh, for a good reason. But now sales needs to learn this new URL, which they want. So they continue to do what they always do which is emailing legal at company.com and asking, you know, where's my NDA? You know, who can review this contract? I need this SAP type of thing. So the other alternative is even worse, which is building custom code, which is basically saying, hey, we couldn't find something that perfect fit what we need. So let's just build it internally or alternatively, you know, trying to kind of connect a few things together, hack them with some scripts that no one know how to maintain and, and manage in the future. And you still have the, risk of change management, right? So, you know, double clicking into where Tonkin comes in, 
uh, what we build is a platform that allows specific type of personals in the in the company, not everyone. Specifically, we're aiming um, the operation teams. So you know, sales up, sales ops, legal ops, finance ops, HR ops, folks that their actual role is to worry about that process and figure out how to improve it. Giving them the capability to actually uh, sit on top of the things that already exist and build and sort of design the the process to fit the different uh, personalities. So, for example, again, we're realizing that part of our problem to go over contracts is we don't have the latest contract because sales are not actually uploading it. And so you can look into how sales are working today. Oh, they you know they actually sending emails. So maybe we can connect to that email inbox. Let them continue sending emails, but then have something behind the scenes to translate it into the CLM. Maybe we can actually be proactive about it. If an opportunity becomes, you know, in a certain stage, we know we need an NDA. So why don't automatically proactively generate an NDA for them and just attach it to the Salesforce record, right? Um, all, all the while that we're actually storing all the information into the CLM, into the contract management system, and maybe even... When we escalating to the attorney, we do it over email because that's how they really like to work, you know, and and uh, and and communicate over, you know, using word files and uh, um, and emails. That type of uh, what we call orchestration is something that doesn't really exist today, because there are definitely tools that allow you to connect data, but those are very like task oriented, transactional, uh, and very heavy understanding of data versus versus understanding of the process. Second. You can create with low code, no code, you can create new apps with drag and drop, but those generate a new UI, which again, sometimes is something you want, and sometimes it's going to contradict that change management problem. And so we believe there's this layer of operations that actually leaves in a more of, you know, its own, its own uh, level within the business, which is more about connecting the flow end to end. And just to kind of wrap this together, I like to call this, you know, if you think about the enterprise as, an, as, an, as a factory floor, we still operate in the pre-assembly line fashion. We have station of work. Some of them are very manual. Some of them are heavy machines. There is no assembly line that connects it and it only cares about the, the, you know, the handoff and coordination. And that's kind of what you can build with Tonkin. It's that sort of assembly line that thinks about the process end-to-end through the different systems, but through the different people as well and help just coordinate and align it, not take care of the task of redlining a contract, but taking care of the nagging, escalating, and coordinating the fact that people didn't do their job yet, or, you know, updating the systems when it's done type of thing. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah, it it reminds me of, it's sort of like process middleware. You know, I used to do a lot of enterprise work like that. And, you know, it was just like, when you had no choice and you had to script, you know, the ugly looking, you know, FTP bash script Perl, whatever, like God help me get from over here data to this. And of course the formats don't match and there's no APIs back, but that we invested tremendous amounts of money into middleware. And now that opportunity exists to abstract further and further into the business. And it's remarkable to me to think that that was, you know, 20 years ago and and it takes that long to finally have it abstract that far at the same time that, you know, cloud abstraction for, you know, you don't have a, a bunch of bare metal sitting in your data center anymore. So, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting parallel path for, for business. 
certainly allows us to be more complex. It allows us to get more done. And I, I wonder, do you ever think about it as like a almost a reaction to like the ubiquity of point solutions? I mean, sure, you can have ERPs, you can have the whole thing or whatever. But I mean, you know, even a small business now is running on 20 different point solutions and SaaS and, you know, we'll duct tape some zaps together and, you know, and, and just the order of complexity in enterprise is insane. Now you have thousands of potential applications. Uh, have we become over fractured in MarTech, sales tech, ops tech? You know, it's, it's almost ridiculous now how many point solutions you could have. Absolutely. Um, I actually even wrote about it just like a few weeks ago and not disrespect to anyone, but I think most SaaS applications are pretty useless. They're, they're so specific and, and, but it makes total sense. Like if you think about software usage in businesses in, 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 in sort of like massive eras, you know, there was the, I call it the custom custom software era, right? Like the pre the pre cloud was all about you know CDs that you install internally. But every you know big companies, even even when you think about the biggest ERPs and and and, and so on, Oracle and SAP, it was so custom the way you actually sort of like get it together. And it was great because it was very you know sort of like perfect fit to what you need. But it was terrible because it was very very heavy lift. And very expensive to get going, and even worse to innovate and, and and maintain. But we, as we do as humans, we overcorrected, and we went to the far extreme, where it's like, you know what? Nothing is custom. Everything is like prepackaged, double click, you get it, put a credit card. The value of the software goes down massively, and you see it with the pricing. It's people getting a hard time, you know, justify a few dollars where. They obviously bring a lot more value than that, but people get so used to like paying for those nuggets because what people realize is that it doesn't matter how many features you have, I'm actually only buying you for this one feature. You know what I mean? It's because that's kind of how it becomes this catalog, endless catalog of, of, of features. So, and, and, and by the way, the, the venture capital world and, and, and money in general was pushing companies further down that path. You know, find one niche, one thing that you can do really well and just sort of like do that. And so we have an endless amount of applications that are all first and foremost thinking about how they retain their own users versus how do they solve the business problem. And, yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean, totally, and that yeah. type of and that type that type of imbalance is I think where we are today. And I think that's sort of the potential for the future. Uh, some, something I'm starting to uh, talk more publicly about is a concept of composable software, which I think is sort of the next generation of this entire thing in which we still have pre-built stuff, but those are not full-blown solutions. Those are components, Lego blocks. And the solution is actually custom. It's something that says, okay, I want best of breed, you know, document extraction. I want best of breed, you know, whatever, email nurturing. I want best of breed, whatever it is. But the actual process of how do I do my business is unique is a snowflake you know take five companies that does use the same five tools ask them how do you hand off between sales and customer success you'll get a hundred different permutation you know what i mean like how do you do it depends on your on your culture on the leaders even and so finding building or constructing a solution that is yours 
using pre-built building block, I think is sort of like where the where we'll see the world goes to, and that's kind of where we uh, what we drive as Tonkin as well. Um, obviously, trying to be that layer that help you compose, but we're not going to be alone. There's going to be a lot of a lot of players in their mark in this market because again, in my mind, this is going to be as big as this cloud revolution. It's going to be a new way to think about how do we you know how do we leverage software. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of you know the introduction of object oriented programming became a little bit more abstracted to where you would have now component libraries, you know, and a million different little JavaScript things, and you could tie those all together. And then we had, you know, web 2.0. And then we started thinking about now, you know, you've got your smart logic contracts, you know, things on blockchain that could start to be really useful for, you know, business process. So, I mean, you guys are certainly in the middle of it all, you know, let's talk about leading such a, a massive endeavor, because I mean, you have a million things you could think about at any given time, the directions that you might take in the next two years are so ethereal and complex that you uh, you might even have trouble knowing where where to do strategy. So, I mean, how do you connect the dots on that? You're a CEO now, you know, you got to you got to do all the things, uh, you know, so talk about talk about the leadership challenge there. I mean, you can have that big vision and then ultimately everybody that works for you wants to know what what's my job and how do I contribute. So I wonder if you don't run into the same types of uh, abstraction challenges that you're solving, you know, out in the field. <laughs> you do. Well, from an internal operation perspective, we obviously try to, you know, use our, our, our stuff and kind of sort of be a, be an example. Uh, so a lot of times we sort of like play a little bit bigger than we're actively uh, or actually are, you know, and, and leverage those things. But no, you're right. I think, I think it was interesting for a while, we were still small, you know, because we were early, so we were still nimble and running, and, and running small. And then in the last two and a half years, almost three years, we, you know, we really started to pick up in general, like with customers and revenue, um, and therefore also like growing the company. Uh, raised a big A round last year of twenty four million. Just announced our B round of fifty million, and it's definitely interesting when you're trying to create something new and when you have the, the struggle of defining a market and running after sort of like how you know creating a simple way to explain what you do but at the same time something that is doesn't that does justice to kind of the, the new thing you bring having your own team fully understand it and get to the to, you know to the to the depth of it is number one priority. And so one of the things, one of the tools I find, and you know, I was actually uh, sort of like uh, skeptical on the skeptical side of it, but actually company values, uh, I think played a big role for us, defining those very early and making them again, personal to kind of what we are, like the DNA of the company. Um, and also defining and reiterating and re and refreshing the, the the mission statement. So keeping that mission statement alive, because like you asked me right at the beginning, right? Did it change? Like is is the spark of what made you start a company, is that different? And the reality is it's, it's actually, it's the exact same one. The, the words I used back then are different than the words I'm, I'm using right now, but the, but the spark is actually the same. 
so keeping keeping that um, up to date too. So I think sometimes sometimes it it seems like a fluffy, you know, skeptical type of thing, like to work on your company values. But I found them surprisingly useful. Yeah, I think that's that's huge because many technical engineering based founders might think that's just simply not tangible enough. You know, you you just let's sit around and talk about our values is is feels warm and fuzzy. But then you realize that I've got to tie together so many different types of people doing so many different things. And what's what's the higher order, like the first principles around that? It's impossible to avoid coming to that that value-based decision making and you know discernment and you can't control everything and so you can put those broad circles around and say you know does it or does it not what i'm doing here meet the vision and the mission and are is it consistent with the values and there are are a lot of good things that we could do but we can't justifiably say that they fit into this and then you have well okay is it within our purview to change the mission or is that just not the ranch that we play on <laughs> and that's okay too but those those ongoing discussions with with leadership and and down the chain to a growing number of people I mean, it's a it's a significant burden every new person that joins doesn't have those values exactly and, right and, at the and the funny thing is that you mentioned you mentioned engineering it's true it's like it's it's that's kind of where it comes from right my skepticism too is but when you when you think about the fact that I think everyone agree with you like to work with people that thinks the way you do about things. So when you actually uh, do get to a conflict or um, a decision that needs to be made, you are based your point of view on a similar, you know that you're coming from the, from a similar place. And it's really, really hard to continually hire for those folks unless you know, you have that somewhat codified and those values actually help with that. And I think the aha moment in this front was me for me when um, I, I saw a presentation for someone, I don't even remember where, um, but I had a good example, like don't make it generic of like, you know, just like things that are, everyone can agree with, like be honest, everything, everyone agree that, you know, you should be honest, but that's not that rarely, unless you work in a, you know, in a, in a trust related, you know, market, like what is the thing that is actually very, uh, can, can, can be used as a card on a, on a conflict. Literally can, you can pull that card and be like, well, that doesn't align with, you know, with, with our mission and our, and our value. And on the mission, by the way, it's as important. Like I think for me, the easiest way to explain the importance of a mission is actually piggybacking on on Elon Musk with uh, SpaceX. Like some nothing easier than saying, like that's the easiest mission of like clearest mission I've ever you know I've ever he heard. Right, our mission is to colonize Mars. It's not even getting to Mars. It's colonizing it. You know, and so anything that doesn't fit with that mission, maybe you can get to Mars faster, but it's not going to help you colonize it faster. Then that decision is a no go. You know what I mean? Because it's it's not about just building rockets that get you there. It's about, you know, building rockets that allows you to colonize. And for colonizing, you need X amount of people. And for X amount of people, you need, you know, that amount of things. So that's like so critical 
to your point of what, what do you do next year? Like, how do you make some of those decisions when the opportunity is so big? Because people are going to pull you different places, investors and customers and employees. People will pull you different places. How do you make a, a simple um, concept, something that you can iterate like a mantra, like, well, that's like our goal and this is deviate from the goal and therefore doesn't make sense. Well, it gives the ability, not just you, gives the ability for anybody else to say, no, that's not, I don't care about colonizing Mars. Thus, this is not for me, <laughs> you know? And uh, I think it's like good marketing, you know, like marketing, if it's tight and your value positioning and your messaging is right, most people should be able to look right at that and say, it's not me. But the right people will be able to look right at that and say, that is me and I should place that that call. And I think it's it's really about that same type of disposition for your internal positioning values mission. So yeah, I resonate. I resonate with that a lot. And I think it is a path that takes from small company to big company, uh, you know, pretty well until the press gets involved. I mean, then, then they ask you, don't be evil. You know, I don't know. That's <laughs> a different story. Right? <laughs> no, but we had, we had a lot of conversation on that. And, and the way we, we describe our mission today is making a world of makers. And the idea was, it's all about enabling more folks, people we call makers, people that have the appetite, they have the desire, they have the um, the fire to solve problems themselves. They meet a problem, they immediately was like, okay, how can I solve this? With the capabilities and the technology abilities to solve that problem with software, without necessarily have the skills of a coder or a developer. And so when you actually think about everything from this, from that lens, it makes it much easier to make choices. For example, for us, being loved by IT became a sub-goal that is critical. Because if IT doesn't love this platform, they're not going to enable more makers. So everything that... You know, every time we get to a, a point where it's like, oh, we can, that would allow the maker doing faster, but then it will be behind the back of IT. That's a no-go because it's not actually going to let them make complex stuff. They're going to stuck with toys and we don't want toys. We want, we want them to be true makers. So that really, you know, you can then build a tree out of it that is very easy to understand once you're understanding the core aspect of it. And that's kind of where I think it's exciting too. Um, for me, you know, another thing I, uh, I say a lot is that the real potential here, the, the real thing that is exciting about this market and, 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 and how we play in it is if you think about technology advantages in, 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 advantages in, the, in the investment, sorry, in the past, every time there's a technology advancement that only makes the same people do things faster, you get linear impact. But every time you have this technology allow people to do things faster, but also allow more people to do it, the impact on the world is exponential. And, and abstraction layers does that, and operation systems does that. And they created leapfrogs to, to, to technology as a whole, because all of a sudden those brand new folks can now contribute and build and make, and, and you don't even know what they'll come up with. And the things that we've seen customers do with Tonkin during COVID, we never designed the system to do that. I mean, they created this crazy stuff and, and, and 
you know, I think it was it was very definitely moving for me personally, but it was incredibly important for the rest of the company too to kind of see, oh my God, you know, that's like it is true. It's you know, it's unpredictable how the impact that you end up doing by enabling more people. So for us, that became sort of the, the core uh, cornerstone, if you will. That's really exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just to see your your creation be able to do things that you never imagined people would do with it. And it stands up under the, the pressure of that and that you architected it the right way and that, you know, it's sort of your, your baby can grow up and be successful. <laughs> you know, I think that those are the things that, get us all excited about entrepreneurship. Of course, there's other times when you build something that doesn't scale and it falls over and you, know, <laughs> you wish that you did better, but you know, it's, it's so invigorating to get the wins where you can kind of say, I never imagined that it would be that, that good. So uh, we all aspire to those moments. So it's, it's good to hear the inspiring stories <laughs> to, to keep us, <laughs> to keep us going. We've got a couple of minutes left. So you put on your, I don't know, your futurist hat. What's, what's next for, for you, the company, uh, you know, what's on your mind for then for those, those two years, uh, spin us some, some future. Well, yeah, well, so for obviously scaling, you know, our, ourselves to meet the demand and, 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 you know, and the promise, um, we have for, for, for our customers, you know, so we're growing massively. R and D is in Israel. So, We'll be tripling that, and on across the U.S., we have you know business and marketing, a lot of open recs. So definitely, anyone that you know care for the for that vision and and that story is more than welcome. And 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 to double click and go back to make you know making a world of makers, we're gonna invest a lot this coming this couple of years in enabling more makers. We have a community. We call it um, Adaptive Opposites operations.communities, the URL, it's all about makers. It's cross-functional operations teams and, and, and enabling them and empowering them with knowledge. Tonkin as a platform is the technology that enables them and, and the communities to enable them with knowledge. But we're going to build a maker academy and we're going to build a, a certification programs and a lot of fun stuff um, that I believe will be very useful to push that, you know, that, vision, uh, that vision across. And it you know it wasn't always rosy. We had uh, we had a lot of three times uh, we were uh, two weeks from running out of money, and had to had to find a way to to you know to stay on course. And it is that it is that vision and mission that that keeps you going. And so I think I think in the next five years the the, the enterprise software world is going to be very very different. Um, and so you know. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to continue to play a massive role in that change. Yeah, I love that. I love that last point. I hope everybody is listening to that. You know, it's easy for all of us to read TechCrunch and say, they got $50 million. You know, like that's insane, right? But that six-year journey, you know, to get to where that was, like the grit it takes to, when you're like, I'm going to run out of money. I know in some of my uh, some of my stuff, we built, you know, financial models and we would we'd literally have a picture of a dumpster fire, you know, and it was, it was two weeks away. Yeah. <laughs> and we are like, our mission the next two weeks is to push that dumpster fire down the chart. <laughs> you know? yeah, I told and, my and you team, have to do that. I told my yeah. team, it's a true story in, in, in my, in our back account. I still, you know, you can define alerts. I still have an alert that if there's less than $50,000 in the, in the account, 
to give an alert because that was like that was a, a month worth of you know or two months worth of of uh, of payroll and i needed to know that we get there right then i and i'm going to keep that alert forever you know just like as a, as as a reminder too but yeah it's it's never a one time a one a one night you know uh, overnight success it's never that's never the case it's always like years of of hard work and, and just you know not giving up so uh, and we still have a lot years of hard work in front of us you know it's uh that's the thing too you get to a point and now your 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 own goal line you move it yourself and it moves you know it moves with you and so it's always there's always the next the next mountain to uh you know to you climb. just earned the right to have an order of complexity more you know order of magnitude more difficulty you know and in every business Every 10 axis is just a different business and you got to build it all over again. So, yeah, well, it's fun to be on the journey with you. Sigi, if anybody wants to reach out and, and contact you, you know, we often have that happen. Uh, what's the best way to do that? Yeah. So Tonkin.com is the, is the website, tons of information there as well as careers. I'm active on Twitter. You can reach out to me there too. And happy to, you know, happy to talk to anyone that is uh, excited about this space. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming out, spending time with us. Really appreciate the insights. It's been fun. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.